come in, Leon Brown, tell me. Deep within my heart lies a melody, a song of old San Antonio. San Antonio. Where in dreams I live with a memory beneath the stars all alone. Yes, go on. It was there I found beside the apple enchantment, strangers of blue up above. I hear you, my boy. Good afternoon or good evening, everyone. It is Friday morning, April 9th, 2021, and this is a special episode of Eric's EDM World brought to you by Hitting the Marks Podcast Network at hittingthemarks.com. My name is Eric, and this podcast deals nothing with EDM, but it will deal with my little jaunt that I took down to San Antonio last week, and I'd like to share my thoughts about that with you. But before we get that, the song you heard in the opening uh, was a song that was recorded back in 1938 by Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys called San Antonio Rose. A little bit of history about this great song in that in 1938, Wills recorded a song that he had written that was adapted from his earlier tune, Spanish Two-Step. Uh, he called this one San Antonio Rose and it became the most popular hillbilly record of 1939. San Antonio Rose was a fiddle tune. It started out, he recorded it, no words, no music, just a fiddle. Will's publisher at the time thought that this song could be a really big hit, but it's going to need words. Uh, Will's couldn't stand the new lyrics or the new arrangements uh, his publisher people brought to him. So when his band played it, he basically bitched a lot about it. And uh, his audience didn't think it sounded too authentic. So legend has it is that he gave one of his horn player a jug of whiskey and five bucks, and he said, go write some words to this song. And uh, that the horn player wrote, deep within my heart, Liza Meltia song of old San Antonio. And they loved it. So the new song, San Antonio Rose, was an instant hit. 
And uh, yeah, so a little bit of history about that song. So I made the decision to go down to San Antonio based upon a recommendation from a customer at uh, the restaurant to that I manage. And I was really torn, you know, I didn't want to go to Florida because I didn't want to deal with all, all of the spring breakers and, and, you know, have to deal with all of that shit. But I wanted to go someplace where I thought that we would be a little bit more free to make our own choices, you know, not necessarily wear a mask, um, not necessarily do what we're told. Um, so based upon uh, the recommendation of a customer, I booked a flight and uh, I booked a Airbnb uh, right downtown San Antonio and I took off. Uh, when I got to the Northern Kentucky, uh, Greater Cincinnati International Airport, um, had no problems going through security until they scanned my bag and I got red flagged. So I got sort of pulled over. Uh, the dude opened my, my bag, went through it, and he pulled out, or uh, he first asked if I had any sharp objects in there. And I said, yeah, I've got I've got a razor for shaving. So he, he was going through it, blah, blah, blah. And he pulls out this, this can of shaving cream. And he kind of looks at it and he said, this is like seven, seven ounces. You're only allowed to have, I think, 3.5. He said, do you want to take it back out front or do you want me to throw it away? And I'm like, well, you're really leaving me no choice here. So just throw the damn thing away. So yeah. Couldn't take that on onto the flight, but once I got onto my Southwest Airlines flight, um, which I had booked probably a week and a half in advance. Now, if you don't know anything as in terms of Southwest, um, you don't have an assigned seat. Um, you you are loaded onto the plane in groups. There's like A, 1 through 30, and then A, 30 through 60, and then B, 1 through 30, B, 30 through 60, and then C group, 1 through 30, and then 30 through 60. Um, and I guess it's based upon when you book your reservation is what group you're loaded onto the plane. So it's sort of first come, first serve. And by the time I got on, you know, all of the aisle and window seats, were already taken. So I had to sit in a middle seat, which was a hundred percent fine as in terms of me, you know, I, I, I don't mind doing that at all. I had a very uneventful flight, um, down to Houston where I changed planes and I made the mistake of thinking I had time to actually go outside of that, the airport, smoke a cigarette, and then come back through security and then hop onto my plane. Well, when I was going through security in Houston, um, they made us take off our belt and off our shoes. When I was in the Cincinnati airport, they did not make us really do that. Uh, so no big deal. I hopped on to the Houston flight. It was about an hour flight down to San Antonio. And... No problems. I mean, 
everyone was cool. Um, no screaming children. Thank fucking God. Um, just nice, calm, chilled flight. Uh, so when I got to San Antonio, uh, my room wasn't going to be ready until about four o'clock. But I arrived uh, local time a little bit after noon. So I only took one bag with me. And I'm basically carrying this bag around with me for about three hours. When you're doing this and in an unknown city, you're always very conscious of what your surroundings are. Um, but everyone was super nice. I made why I made my way over to the Alamo, kind of looked at it for about five minutes. I'm like, huh, that's it, huh? Um, took a picture of it, posted it on social media, and walked on. I decided to uh, check into my room, which there's really no check-in because I stayed in an apartment, which didn't have a key. It was just basically a keypad on that the door where you punch in a four-digit code and uh, decided to go about an hour early. Now, there's something funny about this to that I'll get to later. But I walked in, the room was already ready, and it was such a lovely apartment. Very, very small. It was only about 300, 350 square feet, but it's all I needed. It was quiet. I didn't have to deal with the hustle and bustle of people, you know, coming and going out of a hotel. Um, once again, no screaming kids. I mean, it was just me. The regular tenants of this building, which was a four-story building, and I stayed on the fourth floor, of the few who I met were super cool, uh, super nice, really laid back. Well, it turns out that I had sent a text message to the manager who basically rents this place out, but then he sublets it. And for what he was subletting it for, the guy's making a fucking killing. Um, so more power to him. Uh, but I still got, I thought, a pretty good deal. Um, I got it for, I think it was $88 per night. So you times that by eight nights. And it was a hell of a lot cheaper than staying in a hotel where I don't you know, have to deal with a bunch of people. And once again, screaming kids. Um. After I kind of put all my stuff away, I went walking about. I did a lot, a lot, a lot of walking. Um, in the seven days to that I was there, um, I walked a total of 65 miles. And that may seem like a lot to a lot of you, but when you compare it to about the six or seven miles that I walk each day when I'm at work, it's really not that much. Um, but the restaurants were very cool. Um, a lot of them were corporate owned, which I stayed away from. I think I ate at two corporate owned restaurants while I was there. And the food was very, very underwhelming. Um, I tried to venture out and try all types of food from Asian to Thai to Tex-Mex to American to to whatever I could find. 
there was one really cool place that I went. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday night. And it was called The Gwendolyn. And this restaurant, uh, its niche was that they have nothing in their kitchen that required an electrical outlet. So no mixers, no microwave ovens, of course, no, no deep fryers. They did, of course, have a gas stove, um, but nothing that required an electrical cord. So they had a sort of like a tasting menu for that night and it just was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, the presentation on all of uh, that, the food uh, that the guy in the kitchen, his name was Josh. Um, he wasn't the owner, but I think he was the head chef there. It was him, um, another guy, and then they had um, a third younger guy in there who was sort of like an apprentice. And I think they were trying him out for, for a few days to see whether he was actually going to get the job. Um, but it was just those three guys making just the absolute most wonderful food in the entire wide world. That was about the most money to that I spent on a meal while I was there. I think after tip, it was like right at a hundred bucks. So, and, but for the most part, all I did was walk and when I would see a cool place that I wanted to stop, I would stop. When I was hungry, I would stop and then I would eat. It was just a nice, relaxing, no itinerary, no schedule, no nothing. Just threw the earbuds in, listened to a lot, a lot of Tim Penner. Um, that guy is just a fucking phenomenal DJ. Probably one of the best DJs I've ever heard. And I listened to him pretty much every day, all day while I was out walking. Um, now, when I was out walking, I noticed a lot of people wearing masks. I did not wear a mask while I was out walking. Um, I'm outside. I'm walking by myself. I don't need to wear one. But it was r not strange, but... It was strange at the time, but I got used to it in that people would be walking by themselves outside and they would have a mask on. Now, maybe I need to back up here just a little bit in that Texas is supposed to be completely open. Uh, there is no state mask mandate. However, it is up to the individual establishment it's up to the individual business um, to decide whether guests or their employees have to wear masks um, every place required a mask even city workers even members of uh, the parks and recreation department even privately owned contractors who were doing work within the city limits of san antonio had to wear a mask, whether you were working inside or outside. Um, that's uh, not what goes on here in the city of Cincinnati. There's a lot of construction, I'm sure, all across this great country of ours. And a lot of it was in San Antonio. But you don't see people 
outside in Cincinnati who are doing construction wearing a fucking mask. You just don't. Everyone in San Antonio was. Now, San Antonio is also very liberal. And I hate to throw politics into this, but we all know that politics plays a great role in how people to perceive this virus. You're either on one side of the fence or you're on the other. If you are a liberal Democrat, you're going to be more prone to be more cautious and wear a mask. If you are a conservative, a Republican, you're sick and tired of this shit, you want to live your life, screw the masks. Um, I'm, I lean more towards the Republican side, but uh, I do know that both parties are fucked. Let's just put it that way. So with all of that sort of being said, um, let's go back to the people walking by themselves, wearing masks. There were people running, uh, jogging, cycling um, who had their masks on. And for the first couple of days, I'm like, what are you people doing? It just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, you're free to do what you want. And then it dawned on me. Well, when you're outside and you're doing your own thing, it's amazing what a human being will do when they're not being told what to do. When people are free to make their choices outdoors, it's amazing what people will do. Now, as the week went on, I did notice it went from about 80% for the first weekend to that I was there who were wearing masks to the last part of that the week where people, it was about 50-50. But what was really strange as it turns to me is that as I'm walking towards someone, they wouldn't have their mask on. But as I got close to them and was just simply just going to pass, you know, we're passing each other walking, they would throw their mask up or they would throw their sh shirt right over their face. Um, once again, the first couple days to that I was there, yeah, I did judge them. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, it's like, you're a fucking idiot. But as I was just watching people, noticing people, they're free to do what they want to do. So with that being said, you know, hey, if you want to do that, fine. It has no effect on me whatsoever. And it was actually kind of nice to see um, that you were able to make that choice. Now, as in terms of the, the homeless situation there, the homeless situation isn't as bad as of what I've seen in other cities. But in the downtown area, like right downtown, which is where I was, it wasn't significant, but I pretty much saw the same homeless people every day. Uh, it, it, I would say in the downtown area on a daily basis, I would see maybe anywhere from 20 to 40. Now, as you ventured out into the outskirts of 
downtown into these beautiful neighborhoods, the homeless were nowhere to be seen. Absolutely nowhere. They all seemed to be centered right downtown. There was one district that I walked to. It was called the Pearl District. And you want to talk about Gen Z fucking central right there. As liberal as liberal can be. Uh, I had never been to an outdoor park where the grass was AstroTurf and everyone had to sit in their own freaking pod. Um, That was a little strange to me. All of the restaurants there were absolutely gorgeous restaurants, all independently owned, extremely overpriced. And looking at their menus, and with me being in the, the restaurant business for the better part of 30 years, I know food costs. I know profit margins. And looking at some of these menu prices, I, I, I chose not to eat there. Um, why? It's, it's, it's just food. And for you to charge as much money as they were charging and the amount of business that they were doing was just absolutely phenomenal. But people ate there just so they could be seen. I mean, it was total Gen Z, just young people wanting to be seen. And it sort of took me back to when I was that age. You know, I went through that period of wanting, wanting the finer things in life, I guess. And I still do, but as you get older, you're a little bit more smart about it. So <laughs> I liked it not to eat there, but, you know, hey, kudos to the, uh, that the restaurant owners because every one of them are making a fucking killing. And I guess the, uh, one of the weird things to that I saw while I was there, I didn't think about, you know, snakes or anything like that. But as I'm walking along that the river walk pretty much every day in order to get to where I wanted to go, I would see ducks, I would see turtles, I would see geese, I would see all different types of species of ducks and geese. It was absolutely fascinating. Um, And I would pass this mother and she had uh, like four chicks, Uh, not chicks, but four young ducks, ducklings. And 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 I would pass her every morning and then on the, the way back to the apartment. Well, I think it was Friday or Saturday. I'm walking, and I noticed that she's only got three of them. And, I mean, she's just you know, quack, 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 you know, trying to, find, trying to find that fourth little duckling. And this guy on a bike, he's, like, coming towards me, and he stops. And I'm like, I think the mom lost one. And I start looking on the other side of the sidewalk, like in the grass, and the grass was a little high. And he was like, dude, you better be careful. You better watch out for the water moccasins. Water moccasins are everywhere around here. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. That was the first thought of snakes since I had been there. Mind you, I am petrified of snakes. I hate them. Spiders, I don't mind. Snakes, absolutely can't stand them. 
So the very next day, she's still trying to find this little duckling. And as fate would have it, as I'm walking, I hear this little duckling. And it had and it had gotten trapped underneath like this it was like a not a bridge, but under the sidewalk, the water ran. So there was water on either side of the sidewalk. Well, it had gotten stuck under the sidewalk. And I motioned to the mother duck. I was like, it's over here. It's over here. And sure enough, the duck evidently understood what I was trying to tell it. And she came flying over. And as she was doing it, she landed pretty much right by my foot. And as I looked down, there was a fucking water moccasin right next to my fucking foot. And I guess I jumped because I scared that water moccasin and, and it slithered off into the water. And I swear to God, that motherfucker had to have been four feet long. You talking about someone that damn near shit himself right there in the middle of nowhere. Well, I immediately thought of that fucking guy on the bicycle the day before. And I was cussing his ass like you would not believe. Because I, I truly believe that if he had not said anything about there being water moccasins around, that that wouldn't have happened to me that very next day. So that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, just a lot of just walking around, thinking, being by myself, you know, just no plans, no itinerary. It was very relaxing. Um, I didn't chat with anyone. Uh, I posted a few things on social media, but that was about it. Um, I did talk to Michael Jargo who is the head of the Hitting the Marks Podcast Network. Once or twice, um, I chatted with uh, my buddy Lee Evans um, every now and again. But other than that, it was just total, complete isolation and me doing what I wanted to do. So the, the flight back was good. Um, I took my very first Uber. I'm 50 years old, and I never taken an Uber in my life. So I actually scheduled it Sunday night for a Monday morning pickup at like 5.30 a.m. My flight was at 7. I figured, you know, hey, I'll get to the airport at 6. I got plenty of time. Now, I don't get super duper stressed, but I was stressed out about this because it's the not knowing whether this Uber driver is actually going to show up or not, you know. Um, so I was a little apprehensive but at about 5.29 a.m., I opened the Uber app and it said, your driver is one minute away. And sure enough, that son of a gun showed up at exactly 5.30 a.m. Um, didn't speak a word of English, but, you know, he showed up. He got me to the, he got me to the airport and everything was beautiful. Um, had a window seat on the first flight, which took me to Orlando. Uh, and then had a middle seat. Uh, which took me back to Cincinnati. Once again, Southwest, 
very, very high marks, you know, no problems on the flights. Everybody was cool. No screaming babies on the way back. I guess I got pretty damn lucky. Um, I think going forward, though, um, I did do a lot of reflection. And as you get older, you realize that your time on this earth is very, very limited. And we don't think about that when we're, you know, 20, 25 years old. You just don't think about that. You think you've got the rest of your life ahead of you, which is true, and you've got lots of time. You know, now that I'm 50, I'm starting to realize that, you know, hey, I've got about 30 years left on this planet. And um, I need to start doing more things. So with that being said, um, I have made the decision to not do this podcast every week. Uh, it does take a lot of time. Um, I'm not going to edit one single thing of, of what I'm saying right now. I'm just going to let it go. But the amount of editing, the uh, adding music, you know, all of this stuff I'm new to. And it, it takes a great deal of time. And it basically takes both of my days off each week from work to put together one podcast. I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, I'm, I don't know how often I'm going to do them. Uh, it may be once a month. It may be, it may be once a fortnight. You know, I don't know. What I do know is that I, I still have Matt Seagraves. He, I, I do have his and, and mine conversation but that's all I have. Um, I haven't added anything. I haven't added music, nothing. But I'm going to wait and release that podcast uh, sort of closer to the release of his album. Um, if, if you haven't heard, his album, it is finished. Um, I believe he's being, it's being sent off to be mastered. Uh, he's working on artwork and things of that sort. So we're looking at probably four to six, maybe eight weeks right before his album is going to be released. So I'm going to probably wait to release that podcast closer to the album release date, mainly for two reasons. Um, one, so you, you'll listen to me, but more importantly, so it'll help Matt. It'll help with the promotion of his record. And as we all know, when it comes to you're trying to promote music and things of that sort, timing is everything. So the closer we get to the album release date, I'll throw it together and, uh, and I will release it. I do have um, another one scheduled, but it's going to be done a little bit differently. Um, I'm not going to say who it's with yet. But um, he is uh, extremely shy. Um, he does not like to really do interviews. So we're going to go about doing it a different way. But what I will say is that he is everyone's favorite piano player in the trance music scene. So I think that gives you a big hint right there. But other than that, I had a great time, and uh, yeah, I just want to thank you all for listening. 
And this little synopsis of Eric's trip down to San Antonio has been brought to you by JustCBDStore.com. Head over to JustCBDStore.com for all of your edible and vaping needs. And as a bonus, enter HTM at checkout and you will receive 20% on your entire order. So if you're into that type thing, load up, spend $10, spend $200, and you'll get 20% off of your entire order. And uh, we here at uh, Hitting the Marks Podcast Network are very grateful to have them as a sponsor. So with that said, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, I'll catch you around. See ya.